All right, this is Josh T. Franco interviewing Jesse Benton at her home in Chilmark, Massachusetts on Martha's Vineyard on August 10th, 2020 for the Smithsonian Institution Archives of American Art Endemic Project. And that's the scripted part and it's done. Uh, so Jesse, thank you for joining, for joining us for 20 minutes to document this year. So I have some specific questions um, about your father, Thomas Hartbenton, and kind of wonder what he might think. We can talk about that. But first, I just want to know how you have been since March, since COVID-19 sort of hit us all. Well, I was dealing with another physical issue. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the uh, isolation and the quarantine, I, have, I was already in quarantine. Mm -hmm. uh, I was going through chemo, and I couldn't see anybody anyway. And okay. because of my extended family lifestyle, we're all quarantined together. So I'm not experiencing the loneliness and isolation that most people do yeah and uh which which is you know makes a big big difference for how i see the world it it hardly changes so yeah. i'm just sad that i can't see my children you know as often as i would like and like that but um generally speaking it hasn't been hard on us as it is our business is run with zoom you know and we can socialize and FaceTime and all that kind of stuff. So for me, it's isolation and quarantine has been um, a wonderful kind of experience to tell you the truth. Oh, interesting. Uh, who are some of your extended family quarantine bubble? In the quarantine bubble in Los Angeles, there's 14 of us. Oh. And the children who live there, we had gate dates, we call them. Uh -huh. and because we have a big gate and they could park outside the gate and we would park on, I mean, we would walk down to the end of the gate and we could socialize with a wine bottle and a glass in between, you know, the outside and the inside of the property. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, it hasn't been terrible and it's been, certainly we've all come up with creative ways to, to, to manage. And that's just to throw it out. I mean, one of the blessings of COVID, I think, is the fact that people are quarantined and they are there's so much creative creativity coming out of the uh, internet and the YouTube and all that. It's it's um, it's wonderful in one way and very difficult I know for people in another way. Yeah, but how different it would be if we did not have this technology, right? Isn't it amazing? It, especially Zoom. I mean, Zoom came at the same time. You know, the comet, COVID, and Zoom all kind of arrived just in the nick of time, you know? Right. I think, I don't know, but... Yeah. And, am I correct? You also operate a hotel in Baja, is that right? And yes, that in Mexico. It's been very affected, but at the same time, we're in a very isolated area, and the hotel is set up with different casitas, so uh, we can assure privacy and you know, private dinners, private terraces, everything is. And so we've been running at, at a lesser capacity, but we have continued to be running except for the sum, these last summer months. But we're starting again at the end of October. That's great. I haven't been able to go, yeah. but the hotel is fine. And, oh, that's and, good. Yeah. Um, so you described LA a little bit. Can you describe the context where you are now? Ah, beautiful Martha's Vineyard. Terrible place to be isolated. 
with my 13 turkeys who are my pets that I feed every morning, my swimming pool, my view of the North Shore, yeah. you know, I, I can't, I can't complain, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. And, and we have a shopper, you know, I don't go to the grocery store, so we have a, a, a girl who shops for us and she puts the groceries in the car and then we disinfect the packages and then we bring home the groceries. So that's the way it is everywhere. Yeah. That's great. Um, what about the painting behind you? Ah, that's a vineyard. Um, I can lean away, you see it. It's a vineyard, <laughs> a vineyard still life, probably done in the 50s. The vase that's behind me also is the vase in the painting. That's nice. And it's just vineyard flowers. It's coreopsis and, you know, wild roses. And it's just a lovely still life. That's great. Um, yeah. I it's so interesting. I've been, you know, like, defining America is really a, a conversation again right now. It's always a conversation, but right now, the other thing that's happened in 2020 is all of the events around uh, Black Lives Matter and around racism and how we do talk about it and don't talk about it in this country. And it, I found myself hungry for definitions of America and things I could think about and think against. And so I picked up, you know, again, your father's book, An Artist in America, which is such a great kind of romp, you know, art history is romp through the country. And, um, and so many uh, pictures of what America are, is and are, 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 were produced by your father for people in, in public buildings and in museums. Um, even if you don't know his name, you've probably seen his works and have them in your head. So I was looking at the artist in America and this interview is also, we've been asking the other interviewer, interviewees who are mostly artists, what's it like to be an artist in America in 2020? Um, so this was just really helpful kind of historical touch point. So I just want to read you a quote from that and see, and then ask you if it still holds up, if it's still an important question. So this is the fourth edition and Thomas Hart Benton added a little afterward in each new edition. And this one is written 18 years after the previous one. Um, so he's writing later and he says, a great many thinking Americans, even in artistic circles, felt that the concept of an American art with an American content was too important to be brushed aside. So I wonder if you think, and if he might think it's still important that there be such a thing as an American art. I certainly do. I have, how could I not? Yeah. I mean, I've raised that, you know, art should represent the places where you live, mm. what you feel, what you believe in. And it's about time to redefine America anyway. And I think mm. my father's definition of America back in the 1930s when he was doing the murals was an explicit definition of our own history mm -hmm. and of what America was to him, which was a melting pot of he was married to an immigrant, he championed the underdog, he, especially um, the African-American, of course, and he represented them in all of his murals. I think he's the only American painter who painted um, America, you know, African-Americans as people rather than as slaves. And mm -hmm. before that, it, you know, there, was a, there were paintings, but it was always in terms of slavery. Or, mm -hmm. And even though, his feelings about that. He was a progressive back then. Um, of course, in, when he was young and beginning, the, the ideas of communism 
and socialism were, they were becoming more and more popular beliefs. And of course, the crowd here on Martha's Vineyard, where I was raised, was a bunch of progressives and liberals uh, that started the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so for me and, and for my father, I, I, can't, I can't detach an image of my father or a feeling of my father from what is happening now is finally happening. I mean, we were so sure in the 60s that the civil rights movement was going to change America. That's why I live in a commune. Mm. I was part of that whole pressure and, and river of, of, of positive sentiment and, and life to go in the right direction, uh, which was the, now called the left direction. Uh, but it's like, it's like what's happening now is so close to that, except that it should have happened then, and now it's happening now. I don't care when it happens as long as it does happen. And the fact that the protests are continuing. I mean, if I was, I would be out on the streets. If it wasn't for the COVID, I would, I would be out there too. But um, the, that's what daddy loved. He loved the movement of the 60s because he said it had taken too long as it was. Mm. I mean, you got to remember when I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, um, I remember quite well when Ralph Bunch, the head of the present head of the UN at the time, came to Kansas City. There was no place he could stay. So we put him up. And that was true. And it was something that it was unacceptable, but there was, it was in my house, it wasn't there. Yeah. And uh, and it wasn't in some people, but um, it was something that has been, you know, something that has been a sad, sad story in this country that has to be changed. And we, we do need justice. Mm-hmm. And, um, but at, back to art. Um, art is a... a as you say, I mean, I have friends who are artists and it's very difficult for them now because there's no venue for them to sell paintings. Mm. Uh, galleries are closed or uh, I have a particular friend who used to sell his paintings in a bar in a small town in New York, upper New York State. Uh, it was an artsy bar, yeah. but that's where he made his money in the summer and then mm. had a winter job and that's closed. But, um, and then yet there's other artists who are doing incredibly successful where you have to be vetted before you can even see or buy any of his paintings. So um, I think that art right now is, I think I would agree with my father's view of gallery owners and museum owners, mm-hmm. uh, quite different from the way I feel about it, but it seems, um, it seems a little on the effete side, as he would say, that was one of his favorite mo- words. Um, precious, that it's not robust. The art market isn't a, a, a robust enough, inclusive enough. I know it's out there, but it's not getting enough um, popular mm-hmm. sentiment. And I think that's what Daddy really loved the most, was making noise about art mm-hmm. that would be a public um, conversation. Do you think all the disruptions of this year will lead to a, to undoing some of that preciousness? 
I hope so. Mm -hmm. Because it would become, it, it would make, it, it would give lesser, less well-known artists more of a chance. And that's of course what you always hope for. It's in any creative field that there's room for the new. Yeah. And whatever it is. And the old. In other words, you know, you don't exclude one for the other. It should be a continuum mm -hmm. of just enthusiasm. And I know that there's a, the market's big right now. I know that uh, because the, the stock market's so shaky that all the very, very rich people are investing in land and paintings. And, mm -hmm. and so uh, the, it's kind of a hot, hot market. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, not for all Bentons, but just those kind that are quintessential Bentons, you know, the, mm -hmm. the like horses and landscapes and uh, the deserts and as long as it has a conversation in the painting. Yeah. I can't, I can't unload a still life, for instance, even though it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Yeah. Uh, it's just not going to happen. So, in other words, go ahead. So Benton paint and paintings are still circulating pretty actively. Very, very actively, yeah. There's a lot of serious collectors that have always been there. Yeah. And um, it's always, there's always been collectors for Benton's and people who truly love him yeah. and represent a great deal. There's people, you know, from the Midwest who have to have a Benton because it's, it speaks to them of, of, their, of their youth and where they grew up. And then, and then, you know, he did paint all of America. He wasn't limited to his region. Uh, I've always subjected to Daddy being a regionalist because he painted everything. He painted Hollywood, he, you know, you know. He painted the East Coast, West Coast, Middle, South. He was fascinated with the South. He went everywhere. Um, upper reaches of, of the rivers that he loved and which are in South Dakota and way the heck of it. But, um, oh, Josh, I tend to just talk, so. That's fine. <laughs> Well, I was just gonna, I was just thinking about um, you know normally in a normal work now I work from my office or my apartment like everyone is, but in a normal I went downtown the other day I walked by the museum building the Smithsonian American Art Museum and realized that I couldn't pop in and I had such a habit of going in at least once or twice a week and walking by the large Benton that's installed there permanently, um, and just not getting to stand in front of the Benton every week is such a sad thing. And uh, but it, it makes me think about spaces for art. And the other thing I want to ask you if you have thoughts on is um, your parents and your childhood home in Kansas City that's preserved as a house museum. That's one of the first things I thought of when the COVID hit is we, that's, I, I don't know what's happening there now. I don't know if you do, but um, that's small groups of people in small spaces. So that's impossible right now, I imagine, with COVID. And uh, I would imagine no, it's both. Yeah, I imagine it's closed. Um, and of course, I hope you know, this all isn't permanent, but I wonder what the permanent effect will be on the idea of touring artists' historic homes. Because it's not just the Benton home, there's a whole world of preserved artists' homes in this country that are really important for educating Americans on their artistic legacy. Um, so do you have any predictions of how that might look going forward, visiting these homes? Absolutely none. I mean, as long as the museums are closed too. I mean, yeah. um, I can imagine big museums opening 
perhaps, you know, one person at a time or something, but that's, yeah. I know this is something we have to come up with a, some kind of creative idea. You can virtual tours, you know, and stuff like that. It's just not the same though. You don't get the feelings of, of the places themselves, but mm -hmm. uh, maybe that's our children. My grandchildren live on this machine. Um, maybe they don't need it. You know, maybe they can do virtual tours and, and find the, the joys that we find in visiting things tactily, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Um, another thing I was just, this is just an imagination game. I wonder if your parents were still around and hosting the kind of Saturday night music sessions and salons at their home. What might be the topics of conversation or who might be the interesting cultural figures that are there these days? Well, everybody came to Daddy's house, and mommy, and the Saturday night music night was not, it was, it could be folk music, it could be classical music. I mean, we had incredible musicians, actors, uh, Hollywood movie stars, uh, poets, uh, but let me tell you, mostly the conversation was not about art, but about politics. Yeah. Do you think that was... Yeah, the space where people felt freest to speak. It certainly did. They certainly did. And there was a lot of dancing and um, bourbon and wine and, and, and people having a wonderful time. The conversations were great. The music also was great. You know, my father was a, a musicologist. He collected folk music from the very beginning on those sketching trips of his. Mm -hmm. they, he also had a way of notating music by the, through the harmonica. He invented a, a, a notation for the harmonica, for Honer harmonica, and they actually printed it with each harmonica they sold mm -hmm. of how to record and play and note, notate music, any music. Yeah. So he, he wrote it all down. He was also a great friend of Lomax and, and the Seegers, Charlie Seeger at Columbia. That's great. The thing that stands out to me about his writing too, but the, the spirit of those salons when I hear you talk about them and others write about them, is it seemed like people knew how, knew how to disagree, that disagreeing is a skill and the way your parents ran their house and their social lives made it possible for people to disagree and talk through the disagreement, have fun through the disagreement even. Um, and how do, we, yes. how do we build that? Because that seems to be missing the ability to disagree with one another seems to be missing. I'm not so sure. It's funny, it's a very thought-provoking question because how did they disagree back then is, um, there were subjects they just didn't talk about, Josh. Mm, well, that's, uh... There was um, a code that you could be a Republican and, and a I mean, there were, there were feisty arguments, believe me, mm. because daddy had a lot of patrons who were Republicans and also friends. Mm. And they knew they disagreed and they would get along, but there were certain subjects that just were untouchable. Mm. And certainly the one of race was untouchable. Mm. And there was a sort of laissez-faire, should I say, they knew that daddy was a champion for, um, for black people in those days. Um, and 
it wasn't the the people that we knew it was just fine for daddy to feel that way as long as he didn't invite them for dinner mm. with them yeah so sometimes a matter of just not talking now that's not true anymore so this is the beginning of a dialogue that i don't think has ever happened before Whoa. because our children and our grandchildren my generation i'm 80 something um the they're different they have no color they're colorblind my I, my grandchildren are colorblind they don't see any difference their friends are all different colors mm -hmm. that's you know now that they're getting to be 15 16 years old they're beginning to know the difference in other words now the dialogue begins but they growing up there is no but when we grew up so many years ago we there were no in our schools there were only white people mm. if, if you know what i mean and black people had their schools and there was segregation and there was no sharing yeah. and that's changed but I think that what's happening now is uh, original. And I think that's why it's gonna be hard. Mm -hmm. And we're, gonna, we're in an experimental phase and it has to be discussed like any problem it has to be talked through, but you have to talk to people who agree and disagree. And that's gonna be really hard. Maybe yeah. if we could get rid of this president, we could uh, have a better dialogue. Excuse me, but I am political. Yeah, say what you need to say. I think it's it's really refreshing to hear someone with such perspective say this is original, because other things, it seems to be not that big a strain, but there's this idea that it's just a repeat of the 60s, but I, that's not true, is what you're saying. It isn't true. It isn't true, because more people believe that this is wrong, mm. that the divisiveness that exists inside of people, not just outside, Mm -hmm. Then it was outside. We had to get rid of the separation of bathrooms. Now we're talking about people's hearts mm -hmm. inside. That's you know, that's yeah. a whole different ball game. You got to be. You get. You you have to have some idea of what internal external means. You know, like the rules on the outside. But it's not just the rules on the outsides. It's the rules in people's hearts whether they're going to accept something that they don't want to accept. And that's what has to change. And in, in, in doing so, you change law. Yeah. And, and that, or you change the damn laws first and then make people obey. And that's, that's the other way around it. But either way, you've got to talk about it. Yeah, that's great. And you have to find it in yourself. You know, what is it inside of you that makes you feel this way about this certain person? Mm -hmm. you know, um, that's a big, that's going to change the, the structure of all of the social world of the united states of america that's what's wrong with it right now mm. it's not facing itself it's pretending it's pretending nothing they're in denial about everything mm -hmm. except for those people out in the streets you know get pushed around yeah that's great and powerful statement um so we're the smithsonian we expect to be around a long time so this is a record for the future so what do you have, if anything, to tell Americans in 100 years about being an American in 2020? In 100 years? Mm -hmm. I hope to hell you're doing a better job than we're doing <laughs> right now. <laughs> Great. Perfect. Great. Well, thanks, Jesse. I'm going to stop the recording now. Okay, Josh. Okay. Thank you.